You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm partner and certified elder law attorney, Barbara McGinnis. Joining me today is fellow partner and attorney, Chris Johnson. Today, we're talking about assets that pass outside of will, outside of a last will and testament, which is a really important but often overlooked piece of estate planning. Right, Chris? It absolutely is. I tell clients all the time that when you get your documents done, you're, you you feel like you've broken the finish line when you're on really on the proverbial five or 10 yard line. There's still work left to be done. And for your plan to truly work the way you want, you have to do this detail work at the end. Well, and people will often find themselves in unintended probate if they don't get this part right. So let's start talking about some bank accounts. What happens to money in bank accounts once the owner passes? Well, totally depends on how the bank account is owned, right? Absolutely. Could be an individual, could be a joint, could be an individual with a payable on death designation. Um, But if it's just an individual on a bank account, probably have just bought yourself probate. What do you think? Oh, I think for sure. And I think that's the way most people's bank accounts are right now because of all the the funny looks we get, the head tilts when we say, do you have a designated beneficiary on your accounts? And most people, the most common response we get to that question is, what is that? Because the bank really doesn't often take the time to go through that with you. And uh, it's a real important part of how you own your account is designating how it passes after after you pass. Um, so that can kind of be frustrating. Banks do get sometimes involved and, and they want to make joint owners on, on accounts for convenience sake. And there's pluses and minuses to that. But if a bank account is just owned by an individual and there's no payable on death designation on that bank account, there's no co-owner, that's a probate asset. What about money in retirement or insurance accounts? Well, I think the upside on those, Barbara, is generally they require you to have a designated beneficiary. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to get a life insurance policy if you don't designate a beneficiary of that policy. And when people start to think about it like that, all of a sudden beneficiary designations make a lot more sense. In your retirement accounts, if you're married, it's almost assuredly going to be your spouse. Uh, And if it isn't your spouse, I think for most people, most often, there's a designated payable on death, what we call a POD beneficiary, generally to the kids in equal shares or maybe in different percentages, depending on what the parent wanted. But those are probably the highest probability of having a designated beneficiary of all your financial assets. Um, Now, there is a way to mess that up, though, right? Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> you can you can have your spouse be the only person on it, and they predecease you, and then you've never updated it. You can uh, some people. The biggest I think of truly messing it up, to use your phrase, is the people who beneficiary designate it to their estate, and you just you kind of want to do a facepalm because you're like, listen, they teed this up for you to avoid probate, and you just took it and threw it right back into the probate process. Um, right. Or, okay, so you make your spouse, your beneficiary of your IRA, 401k, whatever. You don't name a contingent. That could be problematic. Um, like you said, if the spouse dies first, you could have named a, an ex-spouse. Was your spouse when you named them? Forgot to update it. That, yep. that ends poorly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a bad surprise, right? That's right. Uh, depending on which end of the equation you're on. And, or you could name your estate. People often think that's very clever to name their estate the beneficiary of an IRA or a life insurance policy. And like you said, all that does is guarantee probate because that means your will gets admitted to probate. Your assets are distributed according to the terms of your will. But you've taken a non-probatable asset and, and made it one. Um, so, you know, some assets, of course, can pass through a will like bank accounts, retirement accounts and insurance account are in, intended to not necessarily flow that way unless, unless there is some very good reason like you need those accounts to go through a trust or something, but most likely it's an accident. Um, if a will says that a person gets cash in the retirement account, but somebody else is named as the beneficiary on the retirement account, well, then it's going to go to whomever is named in the beneficiary account. That beneficiary trumps whatever the will says. I think that's a surprise for people too, don't you? I think that is a big surprise because people think if I put it in my will, therefore my will covers it. And what they forget is it's this devil in the detail work. Just because you said it in your will, if you have uh, set up other planning documents that work against that, like the beneficiary designation, that most likely is going to trump. It's the same thing when people will reference a gift in the trust. Let's say they wanted to give a piece of land in their trust and they never deeded that property into the trust. Well, then there's no gift to be given there. And that really throws people for a loop. And that's why it's so important to deal with professionals who can guide you through making these right steps. Because in, in this case, an 80 or 90% solution is not a good solution. Right. Just, just having the documents does not necessarily mean that, that your estate plan is complete. And just because you've hired professionals doesn't mean it will be either, right? I know we spend sometimes months chasing people down to either sign their documents or fund their trust. And at the, at the end of the day, we can't want it more than they can. We just help remind them about your goal is not going to be met unless you complete this paperwork, right? That's, that's exactly correct. I mean, we don't have authority to do this for people. Um, all right. There's all kinds of ways to... Um, 
to, to mess up your estate plan here. Let's say here's a, a <laughs> another question that's come up recently. Uh, we're talking about real estate. So mom finds a friend. Uh, mom, I, I suppose, is single, widowed, and she finds a friend later in life, and that friend moves in with her. If she puts her friend's name on the house deed, and the will says the house goes to the kids, what happens? Well, I think the kids are going to be in for at least a partial, if not a complete disappointment. It'll uh, depend greatly on how the uh, this individual's name, this friend's name was put on the deed. Um, in the worst case scenario, if mom established uh, with rights of survivorship, uh, that home is going to follow where the deed goes because the deed is going to be the controlling instrument in that. the uh, Now, if it was uh, just tenants in, a tenancy in common, well, maybe a portion, uh, mom's 50% portion of the home might still make it to the kids. But at that point, the kids won't feel like they got it. They will feel like a mistake has been made and there will be some frustration and some misgivings. And that isn't even to begin to talk about tax consequences and the gifts that has been made. And for our listeners out there, just generally adding someone to the deed or just deeding something, you know, from one person to another. Uh, I, I call it the easy button of planning. You can do it quickly. A deed is not a particularly difficult document to do. It is a particularly difficult document to do well. And then what happens is you haven't really thought about the second and third order effects of the decisions you've made. Um, did you say anything about a way that maybe what mom meant was she just wanted friend to be able to live there. So she could have done a life estate deed, right? That's right. Yeah. And I didn't, I failed to mention the life estate deed and that would be vitally, vitally important because basically what you're saying is I want this friend to always have a roof over their home, over their head, which is a very common request. We have, uh, they'll have just a very good friend that is kind of maybe a friend caregiver and is taking care of them and they want to feel like they've left them something of value and so the ability to live in the home. Maybe they have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, I think we all kind of, uh, you know, we, we all kind of wonder about using those terms when we're in our senior years, but lots of seniors are out there dating and having a boyfriend or having a girlfriend, and maybe it becomes a serious committed relationship, and they want to know, hey, this person has been a, a, a wonderful addition to my life, and when I pass, I again, I want to know this has become their home, and I want them to know, I, I still want my children to inherit my estate, but I want that person, I want to know when I pass that they always have a place to stay and this home will be their home for the rest of their lives um let's see oh this came up today in fact do you name someone to be your attorney in fact use with a power of attorney document what is it they can't do for you well they can't update your will I always, I always emphasize that one. Just because they're your power of attorney, they do not have the legal authority to sign a new will on your behalf. And that's another one of those. Sometimes people get the power of attorney and they breathe the sigh of relief like, okay, we're good. We've, we've got this. We can do everything we want. Not everything. And that will one catches people off guard every once in a while. So 
you know, and this is what I tried to explain. Um, yes, often in a, ter- in a power of attorney document, there is authority to change beneficiary designations or to update beneficiary designations, but it does not give them the right to just m- effectively change the estate plan of the principal. So it's in keeping with their estate plan that some of this authority um, needs to occur, right? So the power of attorney is supposed to always be working for the benefit of their principal. And yeah. You do That's have that exactly authority. it. That fiduciary duty that I know our clients probably tire of you and I saying, Barbara, is, is you know harping on that. That fiduciary duty in all those positions as power of attorney, trustee, but as power of attorney, it is your job to do what is in your client's best interest and not to substitute your judgment for theirs. Because when you change those beneficiary designations under the power of attorney authority, you, you could, if you were not careful or uh, not keep maintaining that fiduciary duty, you could change it in a manner that altered their estate plan. And that's not something you really have a right to do. All right. Last point to talk about. This is this is all very interesting, sticky stuff. You know, um, someone that's starting to have uh, signs of dementia, whether it's or, or just signs of cognitive impairment for whatever reason. Um, and they come to an attorney's office, how does the attorney make the determination as to whether or not there is enough capacity to change an estate plan, distributions under a will or a trust? What kind of things do you look for? Well, I mean, there there's a bunch of a little things and a couple very important things. For, the first things are the obvious. Are they oriented? Do they know what day it is? Do they know where they are? Do they know who they are? Do they know the other people in the room? I just want to have a general sense that this person has an idea of, of what's happening today. If you have that sense and you feel like, okay, yep, yep, they're oriented. They know who they are, where they are, who we are, what's going on, and kind of the topic we're talking about. Then really what you're looking for for testamentary capacity is you are looking that they understand the nature of the documents that they're signing. So when they're signing a will, they know what a will is. They know it's going to direct where their assets go after they pass away. They understand that and know, okay, I'm here. I'm signing my will. This is something that I want to be doing. And then the other thing you're looking for is they understand the ramifications thereof. I'm updating my will and I'm disinheriting a child. Okay. You know, this is a child that is your child and you don't want them to receive because of X, Y, or Z. And they, you you know, are very clear on that and lucid and there's there's rationale behind it. And if they have a family member with them, uh, on many occasions, I've politely asked other family members to step out or a caregiver to step out. Uh, and I'll talk to them one-on-one and I'll let them know that, again, they're fully in control. When you're the client, you're the boss. This is your estate plan and you get to make these big decisions. And I want to know that they're comfortable making them. I'm looking for duress. I want to make sure that no one is is threatening or coercing or other ways manipulating them. So there is a lot that goes into it, but the biggest thing is they understand what they're doing and they understand the consequences, the ramifications thereof. Particularly for a will, when we, when we say testamentary capacity in real simple terms, they need to know 
who their next of kin is. They can articulate that, who their children are, who their grandchildren are, who's their spouse, and what do they have, right? Yep. And, and then ordinarily, this is not normal necessarily, I'm not saying that, it's just ordinarily people say, come in and say, to all children in equal shares. Well, that's what would happen by intestate succession if there was not a surviving spouse. But if they can articulate, I want it to go, more to go to this child because of what? And that's what you were saying. As long as they can express uh, the, the rationale, they think it through and express the rationale if they're going to make some unequal distribution. And you're making sure that they talk to, to you individually is part of making sure that they're not that you can determine if they're under undue influence and you don't want to create a situation where um, you've set up the estate plan to be contested. People can do whatever they want to with their stuff. I firmly believe that. Um, But it's our job to make sure that it's properly executed so that if they do make a, a change to their uh, a state plan in that way that just because if a will is challenged and mean it would be successful we want to support our client in reaching their goals at all times even if That's we right yeah all right oh it's been a week um of talking about lots of issues and so thanks for thinking this through with me and um That's it for today's episode. Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Takeus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.